Welcome to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Outsourced Accountant Podcast. This is your go-to podcast if you're the owner of an accounting or bookkeeping firm who is looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team. Here, you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity, and deliver more to your clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Gareth from Interactive Accounting, and you're listening to the Outsourced Accountant Podcast. Gareth, tell us about your business and its history. Oh, cool. So uh, I'm the CEO uh, of Interactive Accounting. So we're a, a Sydney-based accounting firm. Uh, we're 11 years old. We kicked off back in back in late 2009, early 2010. Where we where we kind of came from was like there was there was three of us originally. Um, we all came from small firms, uh, but with you know with different firms but with the same experience we'd kind of go to our bosses and say there's got to be a better way of how we do this um you know we can use real-time data we can you know add advisory services to our clients uh long story short it's like bashing our heads against brick walls um and and as a result um you know guy originally and then and then me short time later started interactive accounting um and so what we are is we're an accounting firm who look after a lot of early stage and high growth businesses a lot of startups a lot of tech companies um you know and what we pride ourselves on is being an advisory first kind of accounting firm yeah awesome so what most people probably don't know is that i mean you i know i've known guy for a long time and um those that don't know who we're talking about it's guy from practice ignition yeah. um, well, so also set up practice ignition but you're one of zeros first if not we the were first. we yeah. were yeah we were in that first first um I guess, you know, cohort, if you will. Um, we were Zero's first Australian Partner of the Year all the way back in 2011, um, back when, you know, ZeroCon and the Zero Awards were, you know, kind of, you know, a couple of dozen people to a couple of hundred people over those initial years, not the, you know, pre-COVID, not the two and a half thousand people, person extravaganza that, uh, that they are now. But yeah, we hitched our wagon uh, to zeros pretty early, understanding that we wanted to be cloud only um, from the get-go and understanding that zero at the time and still is, um, is the best product in the market. So we, we, yeah, we made ourselves a zero only firm from pretty much day one. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your team structure. Give us an overview of how many you got locally, how many you got offshore, um, and what are the roles that you're doing in, in both those different locations? Yeah, cool. So we're a team of 25 at the moment. Um, and the split of that is we are, um, we're 17 people locally um, between Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, predominantly in Sydney, we've got 14 in Sydney, we've got three in, um, three in Melbourne. Um, and we have eight in our offshore team based out of Clark in the Philippines. Um, so what we do is, you know, our offshore team is split uh, four and four. We have four people who work in our tax team. Um, so that's, you know, your usual traditional kind of tax services, you know, BAS, you know, end of year tax for all the entities and things like that. Um, and we have another four who help on our management accounting or bookkeeping side of things. Um, locally, um, we have, you know, a good mix of all the way from senior advisors, you know, such as myself, who obviously runs, run, help, runs the company with the help of my amazing general manager. If I don't mention her and I say I run the company, she'll, um, she'll want to kill me. Um, and, you know, a good mix all the way through from senior advisor down to junior accountants. Um, 
what we do locally is, you know, more or less everything else. Um, we have some of our tax work done here and, you know, in combination with our team in, in, um, in Clark, but also um, a lot of our advisory services, um, you know, the, the kind of the more, you the more detailed um, management accounting stuff. So, you know, end of month, you know, reporting, forecasting, you know, all those sorts of things that, that we pride ourselves on. Um, where, and obviously, you know, the the lion's share of our like client contact. So, you know, all the the fun phone calls and emails and Slack messages and things that, um, you know, that need to happen in order to deliver an excellent service. Well, that's all the client experience, which is what we see a lot of our clients with the with the global team, they that's the delivery team, and then the the local team are more around that client experience and that wow factor of you know we're here to serve you and help you. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 our offshore team like make you know helps make that happen and creates a lot of bandwidth for them, and they do an excellent job of that. So for many years, you are a firm that we um, always. When I had my accounting firm, we aspired to be like you. I know that, you know, you probably had your website copied a million times over the years. Um, I know that, you know, back when we were in our zero journey, which was right in the early days, um, we always looked up to you guys. So you're always a firm we wanted. But what was, I suppose, the story of you setting up your offshore team? What was the motivation behind starting it? So we had we'd always... Um, we'd always won a lot of clients from from where they would ha- they had had a negative offshore experience, and so we'd always been a little, you know, uh, I don't know if scared's the right word, or we'd have trepidation towards you know um, kind of expanding the team offshore and creating that extra capacity. Um, you know, more due, due to the fact that we heard horror stories direct from leads that we'd won, right? And so we'd obviously, you know, didn't want to be like, you know, our competitors. We wanted to provide an excellent service across the board. Um, where the tipping point was for us is that, one, we started actually doing our own research and not just listening to other people. Um, but two is that last year, you know, early 2020, as a lot of accounting firms in Australia would have felt, you know, COVID hit. Um, and a lot of, you know, our clients leaned heavily on us for extra work. Typically, um, you know, January or the end of January through to kind of, you know, late April is a key time for us to get a lot of tax lodgements done. Um, and that was also coincided with the time that JobKeeper hit and, you know, emergency forecasting and cash flow management for clients, you know, who'd been affected by the lockdowns um, and, and the pandemic really happened. Those two things created a perfect storm for us. We actually ended up behind um, in our work and we just kind of as a senior leadership team just said we can't have this happen ever again you know obviously there were a collection of events that caused that that weren't typical in a normal a normal year um, but you know we made the fact that we absolutely needed to investigate you know other sources you know a way to scale up our team um, and a way to do it you know obviously cost effectively but also you know in a way where you know, it was pretty like reasonably flexible and, you know, we did our research and it led us to you. And that was my next question I was going to ask you. How did you, so you made the decision as a, a business to, to look at starting to build a global team. How did you find us um, and what were, I suppose, when you're doing the research, what were the main things you're looking for and then what was the rough process and time frame that you went through? So I think one, one of the absolute number one criteria was that they were going to be our people, right? They were going to be part of our team um, and not, 
you know, resources for hire where we could just say, oh, we need, you know, two accountants or a bookkeeper for 20 hours a week and then be split across between us and other companies, right? We we have really high touch relationships with our clients. Um, we, have, you know, we offer a really high level of service to them. And therefore there's a lot of context and knowledge that people who work with us need to have. And so, you know, looking at different options um, and obviously being quite active, you know, in the zero kind of space or the cloud space, you know, and, you know, there's lots of very, you know, very vocal accountants, you know, in and around social media and things who are very happy to share the good, the bad and the ugly, which is, which is super helpful for people like us. Um, and so, you know, that was obviously criteria number one was to have our own people. And then number two was that like, don't be too focused on the cost. Um, and really focused on product. You can't, product's probably not the right word when you're talking about people, but where we can, where we can partner with somebody um, who will really, you know, who will really enable us to grow and, and provide a really good experience for us and our team. And that's, you know, you know, luckily, you know, the outsourced accountant came highly recommended from a number of people. And that's more or less where we led to you. We had a conversation with your team and, yeah, the rest is history, man. Awesome. And it's been a, a wonderful journey so far. And you're growing the team quickly. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on, I suppose, was for someone that's looking to set up a team, what advice would you give them for the type of work for the offshore team to do? So what were some of the, the first types of work and jobs that you gave your new global team to do? So I think... Um, Initially, as, as I mentioned earlier, we hired specifically for tax. So we'd always set out and the, what we wanted to do first was we wanted to have a really good foundation. And so we'll, what we wanted to do is we went out to market with the help of your team and found you know, a really good senior accountant. You know, we weren't, we weren't overly fussed on, you know, capping a salary or anything like that. We wanted to find the best person. We wanted to find someone who had worked with Australian accounting firms before, who had Australian tax experience is kind of setting the foundation for a really, you know, a really, you know, good team. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, although we, we try and, you know, make everybody, um, you know, part of the, part of the one kind of, office, if you will, you know, will be a virtual one, is that um, knowing that those, you know, that person would then be able to mentor and, and help the junior staff as we continue to hire. So we made that hire first and then we, we quickly hired, you know, three others in that period of time, kind of in, you know, within three months. And what we initially had them doing, we made sure there was lots of training um, and then, you know, early stuff, you know, like very simple company financial reports, right. And tax returns, um, individual tax returns, you know, and making sure that, you know, we were able to build their confidence and make them feel comfortable. I think that was our, our absolute, like number one goal was to make, you know, not to, not to throw people in the deep end. I think sometimes, you know, that can be successful, but oftentimes that can be counterproductive. And so, um, yeah, what we really tried to do was help give them, you know, um, engaging tasks, um, but also, you know, stuff that is repeatable and, and relatively easy to pick up in order to make sure that we could build their confidence and make them feel comfortable in the role, which only, you know, enhances performance. You know, that's awesome. So you mentioned and you touched on the training aspect of it, which I want to dig into a little bit more. So obviously training a new team member that is in a remote workforce now, um, what training did you do that really worked 
um, with your global team that are based in the Philippines? And what did you learn, I suppose, on this process of going through this for the first time? So I think, um, like, I think the, the, the biggest things that we learned was that these things take time. When we, when we initially spoke to the, to the TOA team, it was like a burning issue for us. And we're like, we need this problem solved like yesterday. Um, but that's not realistic, right? And when we kind of sat down and used our more rational mind and not our, not like, you know, panicked or under pressure, under pressure thoughts is that, um, you know, we, you know, we made, we set out a plan and we understand, understood how long it normally takes an onshore person to get up to full capacity. Um, and then obviously gave some extra buffer for that, given that we're not in the same room together. Um, and I think what we relied on, it was, we relied on, on the Tara Academy and the, you know, the training materials that, that, you know, your team provides for a lot of the technical, um, the technical learning. And then what we really focused on, you know, internally with our team and and our and our new team members was you know what we call the IA way, right? Is how we do things and that you know the processes that we follow and the efficiencies that we've built over you know eleven years, you know at that stage ten now eleven years, you know of of operating you know in this space. And so I think, you know, I think you know takeaways are that you know give it time and and be consistent in your approach and don't make people feel under pressure, but you know, and really utilize, utilize the people in your team that are like the best trainers. Personally, I am a terrible trainer and therefore I've stayed well away from this, knowing that the team will do so much better with the likes of Charlotte and Christine out of my team. Um, and, and that's worked really well. Yeah, look, you touched on some absolute gold there. Um, and obviously, I've been doing this for a long time and I also do a lot of these podcast interviews. I think a few of the big tips you just said the IA way, I don't want to, I suppose, underestimate the importance of having the one way to do it. We call it for us internally the TOA way. So yep. any process or system we do, it's it's there's only one way to do it. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges with a lot of accounting firms is particularly as multiple partners, there's multiple ways to do things. And as you as you know and I know, it just doesn't work. And I think the second big um, tip that you just gave, which is absolute gold, is the best trainers doing the training, not the best technical people in your business. And, and we've had a lot of clients fail the hard way um, yep. by they've got their best technician who is technically the best person trying to train the global team. And the global team, I mean, technically they're not the best communicators. Um, so the training is hard. So it's really around getting the best trainers. So I definitely love that. One thing I wanted to ask you a further question on was you mentioned about the time to get up and running and then adding a few months. What is that? rough time frame because you've obviously grown your team um, since the initial ones came on. You've obviously grown the, the second batch pretty quick. What's the rough time that you do, I suppose, allow for a team member, whether it be locally or globally, to get up and running? So I think it, it depends on the, it, it, like, you know, this is a very accounting answer. It depends on the role, yeah. um, you know, and we throw disclaimers in there, but um, what a, what a, I think for our for our junior hires, so we're talking here like either junior tax accountants or junior like management accountants, you know, and doing bookkeeping a month end and things like that for you know this is what we call management accounting, and so I think realistically um, we have them come on board. Obviously, they do their normal induction process, you know, with Tower, and then um, and then usually we have them kind of buddy up 
with with a person or a couple of people here in our like in our Sydney team or in like in our Australian team. We actually have them more or less shadow them for a period of probably, you know, give or take four weeks, right, where they start to learn about the clients. They start to learn about the internal processes that we have. Um, and then, you know, from there after, you know, depending on how quickly the person picks it up, you know, we might be two weeks into that four-week period of shadowing and they're kind of ready maybe on some of the clients to step out on their own. Um, and, you know, with obviously checks and balances in place, but, um, you know, and then, but it might also take somebody the full four weeks or perhaps even, you know, slightly longer, four to six weeks. But what we normally find is that both locally and offshore, there the timelines end up being about the same now that we've kind of got good processes um, in place is that we are, we're actually finding that, you know, within six to eight weeks of, you know, day one of them joining, joining the company is that they're at like absolute full capacity, right? Obviously their efficiency keeps improving over time. Um, but what we would consider, you know, a full, you know, full-blooded role or a full, a full slate of client work um, is, yeah, that's typically kind of, you know, the time frame that we, if they're not there, if they're not there by eight weeks, which hasn't happened to date, touch wood, um, then we'll probably start to question whether or not it's the right fit, right? Or if we're doing the, our, our, you know, our, a good job of training them. Yeah, awesome. Now, what are your top three tips for managing an offshore team? So obviously this is the first time for, for your firm. So what are the big three tips that, or things that you've learned along this journey? The first one is an absolute cliche, and I apologise for using cliches with you, Nick, but the cultural aspect of it for us was a big one. And so, you know, particularly for me, like I obviously knew they were different, but I, you know, as the, like as the leader of the company, right. And sometimes, you know, we have a very flat structure at IA and, you know, when we're actually allowed to be in the office and not in lockdown, stuck at home, is that we don't have any offices. Everybody sits in the bullpen together, um, which is bad for social distancing, but good for morale. Um, and so, you know, we, there's no ego. There's no, oh, this is your role and that's my role. Like we all have work to do and we just get on with it and we work as a team. Um, and so sometimes that leads me to forget that when you hire a junior person, particularly um, from the Philippines, is that there's an air of caution around you, right? Because you're the boss and you're the decision maker. And I think, um, you know, I've become really aware of that and careful of how I speak to the team and, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm, doing that but we we're really fortunate in that respect is that one of our absolute you know one of my absolute favorite team members you're not supposed to have favorites when you have children but um is one of our senior accountants who's been with us for over five years and she's based out of melbourne but christine is actually um originally from the philippines and so when you know we were looking for a way to um, we were looking for a way to accelerate her growth like in management. And this obviously came about and we put her in charge of this and said, can you please educate us and make sure that we create a really great environment for this team to, to flourish? Um, and she's been amazing with that. And so I think being understanding the cultural aspect and how it differs from Australia is really important. Um, I think this, the second one, and I won't take that long on each point, but I think the second one is be really clear about expectation. I think like where people flounder, both, and this is not just for offshore, but, you know, particularly for those guys is like, you know, have a clear expectation about what's expected in the role and what, what isn't right. Um, like people thrive 
in these type of jobs in black and white, they don't thrive in gray areas. And so we've been really clear. We have job scorecards and job, you know, job expectations for each, um, for each team member. And to date that's worked really well. Um, and the third one is like clear lines of authority. We've suffered from this and you talked about it just before with multiple partners or multiple directors in a, in an accounting firm and having different ways of doing things is that we've been really clear on what the line of authority is. And so who that, who, um, each staff member reports to um, and who conducts their reviews and who gives them feedback, both positive and, and constructive, you know, criticism. Um, and, you know, and, and, and the team really seem to respect that. They know who they need to speak to. There's no ambiguity. There's no, you know, multiple masters. And I think, you know, so they would be what I would, you know, kind of put forth as the main ones or the main successes that we had um, to make, to make things easy for the team as they, as they, or the team members as they come on board. Yeah, look, there's some great, great tips in there, particularly the first one. You're lucky that you have Filipino on, on your oh, local it's team. Been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> definitely helps. But um, I mean, that cultural part's so important. We've um since you've started, we've actually built a course called Offshoring Best Practice, which all of our new clients now go through. And one whole module is around the the culture aspects, because we see that you know there is such little subtleties but they make such a massive impact and they can either help you fail or succeed if you don't know them or you learn the hard way. Um, so it's definitely, that is one of the biggest ones that we say is that you need to truly understand the culture um, to make it a success. And, and yeah, there's, we've written plenty of content around that. So we talked about, you talked about job scorecards for each role and that sort of leads me into this. How do you measure the success of your, offshore team what kpis do you use for them so we're very much so we kind of frame ourselves as a modern accounting firm and if there's any other accountants listening to this who love timesheets they're probably going probably mute it for now uh, we don't we don't do timesheets um we've never really done timesheets with a few exceptions of if we ever had like a whip job we run on a fixed fee um you know basis and as a result we're we're really output driven i'd say we're super output driven it's like you know we we build hopefully we build good systems to create efficiency so the team can get stuff done without too many obstacles um but really we fo we don't we don't really focus on time budgets and timesheets and we just base it on you know you work with these clients and here are the deliverables. Let's get them done. Let's get them done correctly. Let's get them done efficiently. Let's get them done on time. So in terms of like specific KPIs, um, like we measure turnaround time on a job. So for example, a tax job um, that, you know, something most people can understand the work, you know, gets assigned to the person. And then we start measuring once the work is assigned. Right. And then, um, and how quickly they're able to turn it around. You know, um, you know, we have, we have timelines like deadlines on jobs, um, that we create. So a second KPI is what percentage of on-time completion for tasks, you know, is achieved. Um, they're the main ones, um, that we measure on and obviously accuracy, right? So, um, see, you know, when you have junior accountants, they're learning and review points, um, come with the territory. You know, we all had it when we were all juniors. I had plenty of review points over my time, but, um, you know, wanting to see that number decrease over time, because there's one thing to be fast, but there's another thing when you're set, it's another thing when you're sacrificing accuracy for speed. And so we want to do both, um, you know, and, you know, and there are a few, 
we don't necessarily have them as KPIs, but kind of indicators if, if people are doing a good job, you know, level of communication, you know, how responsive they are um, to clients, how responsive they are to internal team members and things like that, that aren't necessarily measured on a KPI basis, but are good indicators to whether or not somebody's doing a good job or not, or needs to improve. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that the offshore team provides to your business, what would it be? If I had to create, uh, use a word, and it'd be, this sounds really quite clinical and I'll explain it, is probably bandwidth. So I think where we've always struggled as, as an accounting firm is capacity. Um, we've never had, you know, we don't, we don't do marketing, um, which, you know, um, kills guy to no end because guy loves marketing, but, um, and the reason we have it is like, we want to be able to deliver for people. If we say we're going to do something by a certain time, we want to be able to do it. Right. Um, and so I think what our offshore team has created is bandwidth to, to enable our local team to, to be, um, you know, to be more in touch with our clients, to be a high, have a higher touch, um, you know, relationships um, and, you know, and really like that's really helped like a tremendous amount. Sorry, I got a little bit tongue tied there. Um, I think in terms of other value, like more like tangible value is um, when I spoke to my team in advance of this and, and said, um, you know, what do, what do they, what does the off offshore team provide? I'm actually going to quote them because these, these aren't my words. And so um, in terms of from a morale point of view, they have been amazing. And so um, uh, these are the words of my general manager and said, they sent our, our offshore sense of team and working hard to achieve goals bigger than just themselves, you know, is right up there. Um, they take so much pride in the fact that we've gone from um, initially we hired those four of us who initially we hired one and then we added three more pretty quickly after that. If I needed to pick one word, I'd probably say that, but there's a whole lot more that we, um, that we love about our, our offshore team. Yeah, that's awesome. So I always ask this question. It's always a bit of a um, interesting one. Do you actually have a people strategy mapped? And if you do, what do you see the ratio of team members being onshore versus offshore in the medium to longer term? So in terms of people strategy, um, we have kind of not so much a long-term one, but we have, you know, the next 12 to 18 months. So I think we're looking to grow our team pretty fast because we've got some, some good growth plans in place. I think the general split as we see moving forward will always be about 60-40 local to offshore. Um, given we, um, you know, we're 25 now and we're kind of 17 and, and eight. Um, but I think, you know, we're looking to grow to 40 people in the next kind of 12 to 18 months. And I think, yeah, the split of that, you know, I hope there's no mathematicians online, it will be about 25-ish to 15-ish um, as like a split. Um, we see that, you know, we're going to continue to scale the team up um, in Clark. Um, but at the same time, we also want to scale up our local team because, you know, as I said, those high touch relationships are are everything. And we couldn't, you know, we, we couldn't go too far the other way without kind of changing our mantra, if you will. Yeah, excellent. So the year ahead, what is, you mentioned about obviously growing your offshore team. How do you plan to keep growing their capability and ultimately their performance? So I think what we want to ensure both our local team and our offshore team, um, but particularly our offshore team, is we want them to grow in their roles, right? We don't want we don't want a bunch of people who 
where we're kind of pigeonholed them and said, this is your role and we want you to do this forever because we realized that, you know, that would one cause staff turnover and two, just not be a good way to, you know, I think the good way to run a business, I think we have as, as, you know, as a person who came up as a junior accountant and, and, you know, and was trained by some really excellent practitioners is that I think we have a, like a duty other than to have staff to, you know, help us do the work, look after our clients and obviously ultimately be profitable um, is that we have a duty to, to, to train the next generation to come through and, and get that experience. So I think, um, you know, a mixture of um, utilizing the Tara Academy for more um, more technical skills um, and to you know to, to scale those guys up in terms of that and give them exposure to a wider range of topics and 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 tasks um, but also you know making individual kind of plans um, you know training plans for each of our team is important you know kind of going you know it's August. 2021 now where do we want this person to be by august 2022 for example um and then you know helping them outline you know understanding what they're interested in for one um i think that always helps because it's always you always stand a better chance of success if somebody's actually interested in learning something um so individual training plans and then understanding once we have those plans in place understanding which of it is best you know um delivered by our team internally and which which we can you know either utilize the Torah academy or other outside sources to ensure that they're scaling up so they have that grounding but then obviously a lot of it comes with on the job training as well and making sure they have exposure to new and interesting things to continue to build them yeah awesome so how has offshoring benefited your clients? I think the biggest thing, and that comes back to that one word of bandwidth, I'm going to keep saying it, um, is that previously a lot of our local staff carried, you know, juggled many balls, right? So number one was that they actually, you know, did a lot of the kind of the grunt work um, in terms of, you know, producing the financials and tax returns. Um, doing a lot of the zero reconciliations and payroll and things like that. And so we're able to take some of that, not all of it, but some of that away, which allows, you know, our senior team to delegate and to upskill our local team more as well. So in things like how to build a financial forecast, how to, um, how to you know, do budgeting with a client, how to, um, you know, do end of month reporting, you know, that investors or a board will see, you know, and things like that and start to upskill those guys. Um, and what that means is that our clients get more time with us um, without necessarily paying a lot more in fees is that because we're more available, they call, we answer, and we actually have time to take their calls. Um, you know, we respond quickly to emails a lot quicker than we did before and get back to that kind of when we started our firm, what we wanted to be known for, right? We are, you know, we have a, a line internally, we're interactive by name and by nature, right? And, and trying to get away from those old horror stories that you hear about accountants where you can never get a hold of them, right? You know, my accountant's great, but he never, you know, he never answers my emails or he never, never calls me back or anything like that. And making sure that our team have ample time to do that. I think like our clients have definitely felt an uplift from that. And, you know, they are testament to it. They've actually, you know, when they actually verbalize it and they're actually thankful for it, um, we know we're doing a good job and we know it's working. I love that. And I'm a big advocate of um, client experience. And I think that the industry as a whole, 
sometimes forgets who we're here to serve. And, and I love that, that you're getting that feedback that, you know, you're more responsive, you're there for them. And, and that's ultimately what um, small, the small business community needs is they need us when, when they need us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Not, 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 you know, not when it suits the accountant, right. It's, it's when the client needs it. Yeah. I love that. So as offshoring, I know it's only early days for you, but has offshoring contributed to giving you any more time personally, um, any more work-life balance, or is it still at that early phase of, of not yet? I think if I think it's still in the not yet, um, and my wife will agree with that. Um, I think the combination of this being kind of only twelve months into the journey, um, and you know, a combination of that fact and and a global pandemic where accountants are needed more than ever. Um, I think both of those things have contributed to the not yet answer, um, but there is definitely a path towards it, right? We are getting, you know, we are building capacity across the board. It doesn't happen overnight, um, but, you know, as people get up to speed and we continue to grow the team, um, you know, and get our pricing right and making sure that, you know, our clients are getting what they're paying for and all those sorts of, you know, many different things is that, um, is that, yeah, the goal is for Gareth to, um, is to get off the tools a little bit more in FY22. That is, that is what my team are pushing me towards. And that's what, that's what we're aiming for. So maybe we can uh, touch base in a few months and I'll give you an update. Give it from there. Well, at least it's created capacity. And that sort of links to my next question. And this is certainly not a reason for people to um, build a team, but it is a side effect of it. Has the building an offshore team had an effect on the profitability of the firm? Absolutely. Uh, I think anybody who who would answer no to that question is um, is you know either doing something wrong or is lying. Um, yeah. Look, it obviously is. Um, we've made sure one of the biggest things from a like from a dollars and cents point of view for our like our company is that we have good staff retention. Right. We don't want to be training people only for them to move on because we're not paying them enough. Right. And so we lean on, we lean on, um, you know, our account managers at TOA for expertise on what we should, and, and your, you know, brilliant HR team on what we should be paying people when bonuses are due and what, what is fair, as, as I said, it's our first year. So we're still learning. Um, but also, understanding if somebody's doing a really good job is that you should reward them and it's all well and good to give them a pat on the back but you know we all work for a living and we all we all you know live to earn money and so I would rather I never want anybody to leave our practice because they're not paid enough and so um you know the margins have definitely increased um you know we're able to do more work and as a result we do we're able to do more higher level work and higher high yield work in terms of, you know, business advisory and things like that, because we have more capacity. Um, so it's kind of a, you know, double benefit, right? Is the one that we can do more um, with the time that we have. And two is that obviously, um, you know, the cost of some of our resources is lower than if had we hired them locally. Yeah, I love it. So what is the biggest myth or objection that you have heard about offshoring? And is it true? Oh, I've got a few of these. I've got a few of these because I, I can laugh about it because I fell for it for quite a period of time. And so um, I love admitting when I'm wrong. I don't love it. Actually, I don't think anyone does, but I'm happy to admit it maybe is a better way of putting it. So I think um, some of the things that we've heard is that the language barrier makes things difficult to manage from like, for, like abroad, um, like from Australia. Um, that's rubbish. 
um, I think, you know, actually taking the time to, um, when you're recruiting people to have a real conversation with them, you know, ask them hard questions and, you know, for, especially for people who have English as a second language that will tell you their communication skills. Like if you ask them what they did, you know, on the weekend, that, that's an, that's a non-pressure answer, but our team are really good at, you know, one, you know, understanding you know the communication level of somebody but also working with it like it's also not a deal breaker right um obviously you know we don't speak <laughs> any other languages other than english but um i don't think it's a i don't think it's a deal breaker or anything towards offshoring your team um i've got i've got more do you want more than one Nick? yeah no go for it give as many <laughs> as you got so the quality of the work is inferior to if you hire locally now i don't want to sound negative but i'll tell you what i've hired many a junior accountant in australia and i'll tell you what they need just as much training <laughs> after they come out of australian universities than um then our our philippines team do having had you know either no experience with Australian accounting firms or very little, right? Um, I, I think the the quality of the work when given the right training is absolutely on the money. Um, you just have to be willing to invest the time and do it over Zoom as opposed to the person sitting at the center, you know, across the table from you. Um, and I think the third one, and this was the biggest one for us, is that we'd won clients where they'd had a bad offshoring experience with another accounting firm. And so the, the myth that, that I kind of, you know, always kind of believed is that clients won't be happy with their works being offshored. What we've found is by being really upfront with our clients about what work is done here and what work is done by our team offshore and telling them that it's our team and not, you know, another, you know, kind of pool resource um, thing is that clients don't care. Like they do not care as long as they're getting a high level of service and they've got a really good client experience um, and the work is accurate and the work is timely, our clients don't care um, and they're, they're not fussed by it. And so I would never use that as a um, as a reason to not have an offshore team. Obviously, if you work in diff with different verticals and different industries and things like that, it might be different. Um, but for us, it's been, it's been a non-issue. I love that last one and particularly the... Um... I suppose where they won't clients won't be happy with you having an offshore work. At the end of the day, clients only care about quality, and where um, offshoring often gets blamed is the quality of work isn't great, and that to me is a firm wide issue because it's a process issue, not a who's doing the work issue. Um, now, in some cases, it could be the person, but I think that that last one is yeah, you answered it perfectly. Um, Gareth, there was so much gold that I got out of today's um, podcast. I could speak to you for hours and hours on this. But for any of our listeners that want to reach out to you and have a chat further, um, what's the best way for them to be able to get in contact with you? Um, it was Yeah, I guess there's multiple ways, but probably not on social media. Like we have a social media presence, but I'm not a big social media kind of person. So I'm happy to, I like, I check my LinkedIn kind of once every couple of days. So if you want to like, there's like, you know, LinkedIn or, you know, it's, if, if it's worthwhile having a chat to us, I'm just at gareth at interactive.com.au, right? Nice and simple. We have a generic address where, you know, we, we take all comers and it's hello at interactive.com.au. So do that you know, check us out. Um, I'm happy to happy to chat about this stuff. I find it really interesting, um, you know, which is why I was really glad that you asked me to come on and have a chat because I am a chatty person. And I think, you know, happy to admit that some of these things that, you know, prevent people from going the offshore route, shore route is stuff that we believe for multiple years. Um, and so, you know, if we can, 
you know, kind of ease anyone's fears or, you know, or, you know, encourage them because it's such a great, it's been such a great thing for our company, then I'm very happy to do so. Wonderful. Well, thanks again for all the value that you shared today and um, appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Awesome. You're listening to the Outsource Accountant Podcast. To follow our podcast, visit the Outsource Accountant or head to the Outsource Accountant Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. To connect with us on Twitter, look for our handle at Toa Global or find us on LinkedIn at Toa Global. Like our Facebook page at The Outsource Accountant. Catch you on the next episode of The Outsource Accountant Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.